What a day. What a day to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, I am Fran Magoni, the associate pastor here at Martha Bowman. And if you are visiting with us today, I just want to say welcome. We are glad you are here. And I pray that you will experience God's love and God's peace and God's presence. And if this is your first time back in over a year, can we just say woohoo, woohoo. Think with me, if you will, um, what were you doing one year ago on Easter morning? Y'all think with me. Uh, now, for those of you who, you just come to church once a year on Easter morning, or maybe you just come twice a year, Christmas Eve and, and Easter, this was your free pass. You didn't have to come with Mama this year. You know, a year ago, it's like, whoo, I don't have to go. So maybe it was just another Sunday for you. For many of us, for many of us, though, last Sunday a year ago, I wonder if you felt this way. For me, it began with a profound sense of grief. We had pre-recorded our, our Easter service earlier in the week, so, you know, we had the weekend, so there really wasn't sermon prep, there really wasn't anything going on, and so Easter morning, we get up and we turn on our computers, and so I'm just, you know, my anxiety's kind of getting higher and higher and higher, because I'm, I'm hoping and, you know, praying everything's going to work out. But I think I felt at the beginning of the day that just this profound sense of grief. And for me, and maybe for some of you, uh, having grown up in the church, um, you know, from the time I was just a, a newborn, I, I don't think there had been a Sunday, an Easter Sunday, that I had not been in worship. I even think about the times in high school when I was rebelling and wasn't walking with the Lord. And, but I still got up and went to Easter and celebrated the resurrection. Even in that season in my life when I was in college and I, I doubted the very existence of God. And if you had asked me, I would have called myself an agnostic, a, a seeker, someone who was questioning. I still got up and celebrated the resurrection on Easter morning. My day began with profound sadness as we sat there in our jammies uh, in the convenience of our home. Maybe some of you did too. But as the day wore on, one of the things, I began to feel joy and hope because as we began to get onto the, you know, the service began to come along, I saw you, many of you, typing into the comments section there on Facebook or on the website, good morning, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Uh, worshiping from my back porch at the lake, worshiping from our in my jammies, worshiping, I'm on the road today. And then as I began to watch, I had, had friends, colleagues in ministry who serve in a, a, a church in Columbus, Georgia, and, and they were broadcasting their live service from their living room, from their cell phones, and their, their children were the choir. Then I have friends who are colleagues in ministry, and they uh, serve a, a, a huge mega megachurch um, in, in somewhere in the state, and, uh, and they had, I mean, it, it was like Hollywood. I mean, it was, it was all the bells all the whistles, the smoke machines, the whole nine yards, but they celebrated the resurrection online. I have a, a dear friend, and she and her husband are serving as missionaries in Kenya. And, uh, and I watched as they, on, you know, social media, on, on you know, on the, <laughs> on the web, as they call it, you know, uh, worshiped the resurrection. And this hope began to arise in my heart. And maybe you experienced that too. I, I don't know, because if you're, if you're in, in ministry, I mean, the whole year builds up to this. This is, this is the day. This is the it. This is the moment. 
Uh, but this hope began to arise in my heart because I thought, you know, this might be just maybe the first time in over 2,000 years of church history that the church has not gathered really anywhere probably around the globe in person, corporately, physically, together. And it felt so much like I thought, I wonder if this is in some part how the early disciples felt on that Sunday morning as they, you know, were there alone in their, in their homes and in their houses and wherever they were with the doors shut because they were afraid of dying. They were afraid of death. They were afraid of the Roman soldiers. They were afraid of the religious leaders. And we were afraid ourselves of, of death, of sickness, of disease. And we were, you know, we were in our homes. But, but, the good news was is that the church was not silenced. The church continued on that Easter morning a year ago, and we sang songs in our living room. We heard the story that we've heard if you've grown up in the church. It's, it's the same story that we tell every single Easter all around the globe. Lots of languages, languages we don't even know. And today, think about it today, there are places in the world that are still um, under lockdown. Um, you know, we're grateful here in the United States. We are seeing things are beginning to open up more and more. But, you know, thank you so much for wearing your mask today. But, but all around the globe, millions of people are gathering. Millions of people are singing, you know, up from the grave he arose, uh, Christ the Lord is risen today, or maybe they're singing in Swahili, or maybe they're, you know, but around the world we will worship our living Savior, Christ the Lord. You know, some of you, as I said, I, I saw you come in and I hugged you. I won't call your names, but, I, but it was like, oh my goodness, I hadn't, I hadn't seen you physically in a year. Maybe we've talked on the phone or we've, we've called one another, but I've not physically seen you. Some of you, it has been a long and a dark and a hard year. Some of you have lost loved ones this year. Some of you have lost income. Some of you have struggled with addictions. They say that, that during this past year, that the, the rate of, of, of people uh, committing suicide, depression rates, addiction rates, that, that it has been, this year has been in some ways the great magnifier, that those things that were hard and those places that were difficult got magnified and more intense. Some of you have been, who have been, you know, just faithfully trying to, you know, stay engaged, stay involved, but maybe you're weary in the struggle today. Maybe you're weary in the fight for your marriage. Maybe you're fill in your blank. Today's message is for you. The word of God today as we celebrate the resurrection is for you today as we remember those events, as we tell the story that we're going to tell it again next year on Easter, we're going to tell it again next year on Easter and a hundred years from now, hopefully right here at Martha Bowman, Easter morning, we'll be telling this ancient truth 
true story that is the bedrock of our faith. It is what launched the church. It is what Christianity is all about. But it is the event, the event, the resurrection. So let me set the story up for you. You have the, uh, you have the resurrection account from Luke's gospel there in your bulletin. If you're worshiping here in person, if you're online, I invite you to take a moment and grab your Bible. We're going to be in Luke 24. But let me just, let me give you a, a quick recap of the week. A week before Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, Jesus came into Jerusalem on a donkey, triumphal entry. People were singing hosannas, waving the palm branches, and all of their hopes were that now the Messiah has come, that now all of our hopes and our dreams, and he is going to be our king, and, and Roman rule is about to be over. Uh, we, all of our hopes are in this one man. During the week, we see him teaching and preaching there in the temple and in the area. On Thursday night, he gathers with his closest friends, his closest friends, Peter, James, John, Judas, all, all of his disciples, and he has one final meal with them. That night, they go to the Garden of Gethsemane. He goes to a place to pray, a lonely place to pray, and he, he kneels down, and he says, Father, if it is possible, if it is possible, please let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but your will be done. The beautiful thing about that is his surrender, but also something if, you, if you're not paying attention, you'll miss it, and it's this. He says, if this cup could pass from me, if it could, could we find another way? The will of God was to say, there is no other way. From the book of Genesis, through the prophets, through the Psalms, it was foretold, it was prophesied, it was, we were, if you read, you, you see Jesus all the way through the Old Testament leading up to this moment, that Jesus was going to be the sacrificial lamb, that he was going to die for the sins of the world, that our sins, my sin, your sin, it might be forgiven. Here's the, here's the piece we miss sometimes, but that the power of sin would be broken, the power of addiction, the power of death, the power of, of those thoughts that sometimes you just can't get rid of, the, the power of the destructive nature of, of Satan and all his enemies and cohorts and death, all of that was to be broken as Jesus died on the cross. He, he prayed and he said, Lord, if this cup can pass, he rises from prayer and his friend Judas betrays him with a kiss. He's arrested. He's uh, taken to Caiaphas's house. They spend the night there accusing him of various things. Uh, he's innocent. They know it. He knows it. The world knows it. The next morning, he's shackled and changed. He's taken before Pilate. They, they beat him. They scourge him. You know, you've, you've seen the pictures and you've seen the movies. They take him. 
lead him to Golgotha, the hill. You can go there today in Jerusalem. It's a real place. A, a group of us from Martha Bowman last January were actually in Jerusalem. We went to the place where historically they believe that it's the spot, the spot where Jesus was crucified, the hill, the, the ground there. You can reach down and you can touch the, touch the rock. He was crucified. They nailed the, the nails in his hands and his feet. And he, he hung there on the cross, the sacrificial lamb, for you and for me. He dies, and the, the world grows dark. The veil of the temple is rent, making the way for us to come into the presence of God. The symbolism there, there's an earthquake. And the, the end of the day is approaching. Friday is the day of preparation. The next day is the Sabbath for if you're a good Jewish person. And so in their haste, uh, they want to take Jesus' body off of the cross. Joseph of Arimathea, who is a, a good friend of Jesus, he goes and he asks Pilate, he said, may I, may I have the body? Now, for a moment, stop and pause and imagine that you are Joseph of Arimathea. You are one of the, a part of the Jewish council, but you did not agree with the, with the events of the day. You've not agreed with what has happened, and uh, you've asked for Jesus' body. Just for a moment, imagine that you're there, and you're taking the body of Jesus off of the cross. Imagine you're taking anybody's body off the cross. The blood, the smell... The, the, the mangled, the brokenness. Imagine you're the one that takes the nails out of his hands. Imagine you're the one that takes the nails out of his feet. And in love, you wrap him in linen cross. In love, you lift his body. If you go to Jerusalem today and you go to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, which is where um, they have, uh, have built a church around where these events would have taken place, there's a stone slab there where they believe that that's where Joseph of Arimathea laid Jesus' body as he wrapped him in the linen cloths and prepared him to go into his tomb. Uh, the tomb, they would have been a short distance away. They were right outside the city, and it was a, a garden tomb. It was a, a, like a, it was a quarry. Uh, a quarry, if you will, so there's stone. And so the, the cave, a cave had been, had been carved out. And there they took Jesus' body and they laid it. What happens next is just this short little sentence in the Gospels, uh, but it's pregnant with meaning. It's just pregnant with meaning. It says that after they had done this and the women went and they saw what they had done, you know, there, there's their people gathering around. And it says, and then they rested on the Sabbath as the law commanded. They rested on the Sabbath. Just imagine, if you will, that you're Joseph of Arimathea. Just imagine if you're Mary, the mother of Jesus. Just imagine if you're Mary Magdalene. Just imagine if you're Peter, who has denied Jesus three times. And you have to rest on the Sabbath. You have to go home and into your house and do nothing and shut the doors. And you feel as if hope is gone. There's this moment of terror and fear. If, if Jesus, who, who healed the multitudes, Jesus, who broke the bread and fed the 5,000, if Jesus couldn't protect himself from this horrible, horrible end, we're not safe. 
Can you imagine the fear and the terror that they must have felt? That their hopes were dashed. Their hopes were gone. Uh, the one they had hoped would come to be the Messiah is now dead. And I, I don't think that we can compare what we experience to what they experienced. I mean, maybe in some small measure. But I do remember that feeling of uncertainty and, and going home and shutting the door and what's going to happen in the, the in-between and the not knowing. But then our passage picks up this morning. But, but... We've been in a sermon series through Lent, and we called it But God. And we talked about those moments where all hope seems lost, when it seems like the addiction is won. It seems like the prodigal is never going to come home. It seems like your finances are never going to be okay. It feels like fill in your blank. But God. The disciples had lost hope. The disciples had lost faith. The disciples were in their darkest moment on that Sabbath. But God, but very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb and they took spices that they had prepared. Why did they take spices? Because they thought that Jesus was dead. They took spices to prepare his body because this is long before the days of embalming people and things like that. And so they, they took the spices because this is how they, the, the body would, would decay there in the cave. And then a year later, the family would come back and take the bones and put them in a, a box. That's how, that's how they did burials when people died because that's what they expected. And so they went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared and they found, huh, they found that the stone had been rolled away. It was not what they were expecting. So they went in, but they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. And they stood there and they were puzzled and they were perplexed because, why? They thought Jesus was dead. And then they appeared to them, these two men, clothed in dazzling robes. The women are terrified. They bow their faces to the ground. And the men say this, Why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? I want to say that again, because this is the message of Easter. Why are you looking for someone who is alive among the dead? Or why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? That, that word there, looking, why are you looking? Why are you seeking? Why are you searching for? Why are you pursuing um, among what is dead, that which will not bring life? Uh, because Jesus is alive. The women go and they tell the disciples. At first, the disciples don't believe, but then Jesus begins to appear. First, he appears to the 11. Um, he appears to Peter and John. It says in, in later on in other passages of Scripture that Jesus appeared to over 500 people. This is so incredibly significant because this is what makes your faith 
have substance. This is what makes your faith have something to, to, to historically ground and, and plant your stake. Uh, I was having a conversation with um, someone the other day, and we are, we are, we're both Christians, but we're from different denominations. And our denominations um, see a lot of things differently, if you will. Um, they, the, they don't think women should be ministers. They don't think women should be doing what I'm doing here today. Uh, they, we have differences in what we believe about a lot of things. And uh, we're very close and very good friends. And I, and I was laughing. I was actually picking at him. And I said, I hope you don't mind that I pick at you about you know the things that we disagree about. And he said, no, as long as you don't mind if I give it right back. And I said, here's the thing. I might get to heaven one day, and Jesus might look at me and say, Fran, you know, you kind of got it wrong. I really didn't want women to be preachers. But, you know, good job anyway for giving it your best. Or, or you know, you know what you believe about, you know, was it a literal six-day creation? Did it happen through eons of time? You know, I, I don't know. I, I, I've done the best of my ability to try to figure out and discern, and, and as you are doing too. But here is the hill I die on. Here's the hill I die on. I die on the resurrection. I die on the truth and the veracity that that was a real historical event that Jesus Christ, who existed with God before the foundation of the earth, a part of our triune God, that he came and he lived among us and he was crucified and he died and he was buried. But on the third day, he rose from the dead. And the message of the angels is true. And he says, why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? It changes everything, everything, everything. And here's the thing, when Paul was writing to the Romans and to the Colossians and to the Galatians and all these epistles and letters, y'all, these, these letters where they're talking about the resurrection, they, this occurred maybe 20, 30 years at the most after these historical events. If this were a myth, if it were a farce, if it were just a made-up tale, there would be too many people alive at the time who would say, oh, no, 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 that did not happen. These 500 people, they're just making it up. But no one, no one who was there who witnessed the events said this, and they gave their lives. Some 40 years later, some 40 years later after the resurrection, John, his, Jesus' closest friend, one of his closest companions, the Apostle John, the one who at the Last Supper laid his, his head on Jesus' breast, the one who, when Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane, that he took John with him, to be with him in that most agonizing night, the one disciple that did not flee when Jesus was being crucified, the one that he said, John, will you take care of my mother after I'm gone? This same John, some some some. 40 years later now, this would have been, you know, kind of at the end of the first century, John has been faithfully proclaiming the good news of the resurrection. He, he hadn't doubted. He hadn't said, oh, wait, I imagined it wrong. I've changed my mind. No, he has been preaching the good news. He's written the gospel of John. He's written letters like first and second and third John to churches. He is continuing to live a life of faithfulness. And what is his reward? His reward is imprisonment on the island of Patmos. 
isolated, kind of like us last year, isolated. Do you think in that moment he would have questioned his faith? Do you think in that moment he would have doubted if it was true? Was it worth it? Has it been worth it all these years that this is where I've ended up alone, in solitude, imprisoned at the end of my life? Was it worth it? Was it worth it? There he was, worshiping the living Savior on the island of Patmos on the Lord's day. And Jesus comes to him in a vision. We call it the we call it the revelate we call it revelation. It's not revelations about the end times. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ from Jesus Christ and it was a message to the seven churches there in the Mediterranean basin. But we know that the number of seven is the number of perfection, and so it was a letter to the church in the first century, all the churches in the first century. It was a message to all the churches in the second century, in the third century, in the fourth century. It was a message to our church during this long, hard, pandemic, political, crazy COVID year. It's our message to Martha Bowman today in Easter, April of 2021. John, Jesus gives John this beautiful revelation of who he is. He describes himself. He says, he says that I turned and I saw, he's seen Jesus, and he said, he's standing there, and he said, he's wearing this robe, and his hair is like white wool, and his eyes are like a flame of fire, and he's holding the seven stars in his hand, and, his, and his, from his mouth is coming this two-edged sword, and his face is like the, his face is like the sun in all its brilliance. He's seeing our resurrected Lord who is seated right now in the heavenly places. John saw his resurrected Lord. God opened his eyes, pulled the curtain back, revealed. That's what the word apocalypse means, revelation. It is to reveal. And when I saw him, John said, I fell at his feet as if I were dead. But, but God, but God, but he, Jesus, he laid his hand on me. Right now, whatever is going on in your world, whether this has been a long, hard year, whether you have lost someone that you've loved, whether you've lost a job, whether you have not been able to say no to that addiction, whether fill in your blank, right now I want you to see and experience the living God, Jesus Christ, who is not dead but is alive. I want you to envision and see him in tenderness and in gentleness, laying his right hand on you, touching you, looking at you in the eye, and saying, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I'm the first and I'm the last. And I am the living one. I am the living one. I died, but look, look, see, same, same word that the angels said to those women at the tomb some, some 40 years earlier. But look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and the grave. The warmth of his touch, touching you right now, touching me, saying, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. I am the living one. I died, but look, I am alive forevermore. Is there any better 
passage of Scripture for us to, to remember and to celebrate Easter today, this, this resurrection, this resurrection Sunday. Because here is the heart behind Easter, is that Jesus is not just an idea. Jesus is not just a feeling. Jesus is not just a religion. Jesus is not just uh, this historical person, though, though he did live during a particular time in history. He's not just an explanation about why we're here and why there's something in the universe and how. No. The Easter message is that God loved humanity and he knew we were broken and we knew we needed a Savior. And he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for you and for me. And today, he is alive. And he invites you to come and to look and to see and to believe. So whatever, whatever you came into this service this morning, whatever you were carrying on your shoulders, whether it was doubt, whether it was unbelief, whether it was discouragement, um, or maybe you just want to stand up and really you just wanted to shout and dance in the back of the room, uh, you know, that is okay. I pray that today that the living God, Jesus Christ, will meet you and open your eyes and pull back the curtain that you might see him as your resurrected Lord.